Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... If somebody is faking the funk saying, I'm a Christian. I am a born-again Christian. And they live in an ongoing rebellion. God says, pull away from them. Back up from that before you be living a fake life too. Ain't nothing worse to God but than a fake. If you want to see the harshest words in the whole Bible from Jesus Christ... It was to the Pharisees, those who God said were spiritual fakes, that they put on a show. They put on externally what they're not really living on the inside. God hates that. God would rather you be real and weak than to be pretending to be strong. Amen? Today, Pastor Bill clarifies the call to be a witness to those who are lost. You see people every day that need to meet Jesus. They are living life and acting out of the flesh. Then there's the friend or colleague that you see at church a few Sundays a month who claims to be a Christian, but their life outside of church is in clear rebellion to God. You should feel convicted to share the word with the lost and to steer clear of the phony. Pastor Bill says it's better to be real and weak than to pretend to be strong. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, as he continues his message, a few final words. Be careful in your witness that you're not witnessing with the rules of Christianity for someone that don't have the spirit of God in them because it's not clicking. All right. When you give spiritual rules to people that are spiritually dead, they just get spiritually ticked off. That's how it worked in my life. So when I have people telling me you, you shouldn't be drinking, it's like, well, why shouldn't I be drinking? I love to drink. Why wouldn't I do this? You know, I, I couldn't comprehend what they were saying. And it was annoying to me, to be quite honest. They should have just told me what Jesus did for me and left me with that. So if y'all are witnessing the people, neighbors, families, friends, coworkers, be careful that the message is supposed to be good news. Amen. So make sure your message is good news. Give them the bad news. I don't know if you knew this, but the Bible says that all men have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, that because of that, you're separated from God. I don't know if you know that. If you die like you are, you go to hell. But I got good news. Jesus died for you and he would forgive you and receive you today if you would put your faith in him. Great news. You want to do that and invite them into a real relationship with the Lord, not religion, not rules. If you convince someone to give up all their stuff and they don't receive Jesus, y'all know they still not going to heaven. So anyway, back to this. So Paul said, man, I ought to be preaching this message. I got to be preaching this. And I encourage you guys, make sure that we're preaching this message, not the message of religion, not the message of rules and regulations, but the message of the gospel, what God has done for sinners. Amen. Look at verse five and six. Now, two more exhortations. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Paul is saying, look, when you're dealing with non-believers, be careful how you walk before them. Y'all understand that our witness should correspond with our words, right? The My lifestyle and my behavior should correspond with the message that I'm sharing. So Paul says, walk in wisdom toward those that are outside. Make sure that we're not living in such a way that we are repelling people or that we're we're the reason why people don't want to go any further in the conversation. Everybody here knows somebody when you weren't saved that they were that to you, right? They were, they were the repellent of Christianity to you. I had people in my family that that's what they were to me. It was like, man, the worst, worst thing that could have happened was for that person to say they was a Christian for me. And so make sure that that's not you. Make sure you're not living in that way. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. That means I need to be careful how I walk, how I carry myself, how I speak to these people, how I treat them. 
Again, my message and my life, they should correspond. They shouldn't contradict. The second part of verse five, he said, redeeming the time. That word redeeming means to buy up opportunities. And as you are interacting with non-believers, remember that. These are opportunities. Tomorrow's promise to no man. You might be interacting with someone and they're going to be gone. And so redeem the time. Buy up the opportunities. If you have opportunities to share with people, don't waste them. Don't be at a funeral saying, oh, man, I never got around to it. Don't be at a funeral of a friend or a family member saying, ah, I've been saying I was going to talk to them and I didn't. Nah, make sure you did it. Make sure you had shared it. Make sure you have communicated it. Redeem the time. Buy up those opportunities because, again, tomorrow's promise to no man. We can't bank on having another opportunity with people. Then he says in verse 6, this is about your speech. Let your speech always, I underline always in my Bible, let your speak always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I want that to marinate in real quick, right? Let your speech always be seasoned with grace. Be with grace and seasoned with salt. Always. That means this. There's some people that kind of, you know, use their past, right? There's some people that will say, oh, you know, I've always been like this. You know, I just kind of just, I just cut people up with my words because I'm just, I'm a straightforward. Y'all know I'm straightforward, right? If I don't watch myself, I will straightforward cut people's heads off because that's, I am very straightforward. That's how I am. I, I prefer, when I talk to people, I'd rather you just say, yeah, just tell me how it is, right? Tell me, tell me you did bad. I don't like you. The food was nasty, I can take it, right? That's how I am. I appreciate that. If I cook meals, that's how my household is, right? So my kids have this running joke. I made a steak a long time ago. Y'all know I can get down on the grill. I make steaks now that they, they be standing in line for. But, but I made a steak one time, one time, one time before I had a good grill, and it came out chewy. And I did. I talked smack. So I talked it all up. I was like, I got the steaks and the potatoes. I was... I was doing my little stuff and and we all got to the table and start eating and I was eating it too so I knew I'm eating the steak and I'm like man it just it won't stop chewing I'm like mm, I'm chewing and chewing so they're at the table giggling but they're not clowning me 100% yet y'all know my son Billy Billy is autistic so he kind of gets a pass Bill will do what he want to do Bill ate the whole steak he cut it up he ate every piece so I was like look Bill likes it Bill, Bill's eating the steak after he ate the entire steak, it was all in his mouth. I didn't realize it was still all in his mouth. He got up and went to the trash can in front of everybody at the table and just blah, just put it all out. They fell out of their chairs. They rolled and laughed. And so I've been marked with that for the rest of my life. Now, again, my household is not one where I'm going to say to my kid, oh, don't you disrespect me. Like, we're going to laugh at each other. You know, that, that steak was chewy and it was nasty, and that's how it is. Now, I got to be careful as a believer because my household, we can, do, we can deal with that. But I can't assume that you can deal with that. So if you make something, I've had people make things, hey, what do you think about that? Now, if I did your how I do us at home, some of y'all will never be back. Y'all been made a dish. What'd you think? That was disgusting. I had to scrape my tongue after I ate that, that thing. You know, you will never be back again. I got to be careful. My words need to be seasoned with grace. I got to be careful how I talk to people. So you too, right? We're witnesses, but also among brothers and sisters. I got to be careful. Y'all are God's kids. Y'all are important to God. 
And it matters how I don't want to have a negative effect on you because I'm loose with my lips or I'm reckless with my words. And so Paul says, look, man, you need to let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. So if you are one who you get a lot of people letting you know that you say some difficult things or you hurt them with your words, don't accept that that's just who you are. You need to change. You need to make an adjustment. Right. You need to alter that because God has called you to. Paul is a very straightforward person. But Paul says, look, man, let your words, let them always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Now, from this point, Paul begins to run through his list of friends. We'll see that he had a lot of friends in the ministry. We'll highlight some of them as we go. But I want you to consider as we go through his list of friends. What kind of friends do you have? Who are you surrounded with? Who do you talk to from week to week? Who do you hang out with in your free time? Who are your friends? What are they into? Is it edifying? Is it point you to the Lord? Is it, you know, are these people that you guys are praying for each other? What do your friends look like? Let's look at what Paul's friends were into. So first, verse seven, we get this man, I say Tychicus. Some people say Tychicus. I like Tychicus. So verse seven, Tychicus, a beloved brother faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. He will tell you of the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So Paul says about this man, Tychicus, and I believe this is great, right? This is a, what a great testimony that Paul would say these words about him. He says he's a beloved brother, faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord, right? Paul said, this guy is just faithful. This is a good brother, man. This is my evaluation of him, and I'm sending him to you guys. So apparently this was the person Paul chose to carry the letter that he wrote. Paul's in prison writing letters. He's got to entrust someone to get his letter from Rome to Colossae. And so Tychicus is a faithful brother. He's a good guy. Paul says, this is my guy, a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant. I trust him to carry this letter. Again, I think this is so important in this age, in the body of Christ, even in our church. There are people here, you guys, that are faithful brothers and faithful sisters, trustworthy. Count on them. They're going to be here. They're going to be doing the ministry they've been given to do. They're going to do it with faithfulness. It's important that as a body of believers that there are people that can be trusted and counted on like that. No, no one person does everything. You guys know that? As important as Paul was, Paul's sitting in prison writing this letter. If he don't have someone that can carry it, from Rome prison to Colossae, then it's a new point. This letter needs to get to the believers over there. It's written for them. And so he needed someone he could trust with that. They weren't emailing this, right? Paul wrote this on parchment. That means I needed someone that can carry it, that can take care of it, that ain't going to burn it, they're going to fall in the river and soak it and ruin it. Like, I need someone that can get this where it got to go. This is my guy to do that. And again, I would encourage you to consider rather or not that could be said of you. Are you someone that can be trusted, can be counted on, uh, to be faithful, to be trustworthy? Paul here, he assures the saints that when Tychicus arrives, he'll let them know how Paul is doing. So he has kind of two jobs, carrying a letter from Paul to the church in Colossae, but also he's going to let them know how Paul's doing because he's been with him. He's been spending time with him. So also it says this, that while Paul's in prison, this is one of the people that's made time to go see about him. This is one of the people that's, you know, he's made an effort to go be where Paul is and have access to him. So he'll be able to let those guys know how Paul is doing. 
I think in a church today where people covet all these big titles, bishops and, you know, pastor and this, that and the other. These are to me, beloved brother. That's a coveted title to me that just a, a faithful minister, a fellow servant of the Lord. That's what we aspire to be. Forget the titles. This is important stuff. This is important to God. This is what makes the wheels go round on the mission of the church, these kind of people. And so I'm never one that want to make a big deal about titles because I, I know God could care less about our little titles. Y'all know that? I don't demand that people call me pastor. I am Bill Buffington. I'm a fellow brother, member of the body of Christ. That is my calling and position, but it ain't that big a deal to me that I don't, I don't have kids that come and say, hey, I don't, they don't, I don't correct somebody if they say, you know, I've had people tell their kids, no, no, say pastor. Ah, just, it's, it's really not that big a deal, I promise you. You know what's a big deal? That we be doing this thing. That's what's the big deal, that we be living out the calling that we have, that we be faithful to one another, and that we be fulfilling the mission of Christ in our lifetime. And so this trip that Ty Chikas is going to take to Colossae, it would serve the purpose, again, of giving the letter to them, but also, and also he's going to bring comfort or encouragement to them as he lets them know how Paul is doing. Uh, now look at verse 9. We got another guy, Onesimus, who we read about recently in the Bible reading for you guys that are doing that with us. Verse 9, it says, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. So Onesimus is accompanying Tychicus. So for you guys that read the book of Philemon recently, you'll know that Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. He ran away from slavery, got to Rome. Somehow when he got to Rome, he got saved. And so Paul wrote a letter and said to Philemon, I would like to keep him with me, but I'm not going to do that because you didn't send him. He came. I'm sending him back to you. But he says when he gets there, I want you to receive him not as a slave, but as a what? As a brother. When he gets back, don't receive him back as a slave. Now this is your brother in Christ. I want you to receive him as a brother. And there's this beautiful healing and restoration that takes place. And so even now, Onesimus is going back. He's carrying letters. He's in the ministry. Paul, he's, he has ministered to Paul, and Paul is now sending him. Paul said, look, anything he owes you, put it on my tab. And I bet they wouldn't have the nerve to ask Paul for nothing on the tab either. You know, Paul said, receive him back. So Onesimus is also in the group. And, and again, I want you just to see the fruit of Paul's ministry. When Onesimus got to Paul, he was not saved. But as Onesimus is leaving Paul, he is saved. You realize what a big deal that is, that, that, that Paul's ministry was one where people's lives were going from death to life. Didn't know the Lord. Now they know the Lord was going to hell. Now they're going to heaven. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal. And Paul was doing that everywhere he went. You guys, we can do that everywhere we go. If you just sow the seed of the gospel, eventually you're going to see. You're going to see some return. You're going to see some people respond. Everywhere Paul went, it seemed that, that was, that's what God was doing in his life. Look at verse 10 and 11. We're going to look at Aristarchus and Mark. So verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. So this guy was locked up with Paul, one of the prison homies. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so let me stop. Let's start with R. Starches. This is a guy that's in prison with Paul. We don't know much about him other than that he's in prison with Paul. Something is spoken about him in Acts. If you're a note taker, Acts 19, verse 29, it says, so the whole city was filled with confusion 
and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions. So while these guys were on the, out in the field with Paul, he then got put in the clink too for doing the work of the ministry. So we know, all we know about Aristarchus, Paul's like, I, I got a brother in Christ in the prison with me. Now we got Mark. Anybody remember Mark's story? Right. Okay. So Mark, who we call John Mark, he's the writer of the gospel of Mark. He was a real young guy, maybe a teenager at the time where all this took place. Paul and Barnabas were going on a mission, their first missionary journey. Barnabas is the uncle of Mark. And Barnabas says, hey, let me bring my little nephew with me. Get him groomed up for the ministry. And they went on the mission field and Mark didn't make it. Mark chumped out somewhere along the way. I don't know if he said, there's too many mosquitoes or this is boring or whatever it was. He didn't do good on the mission field and he went back home. And so when Paul and Barnabas were getting ready to go on their second trip, Barnabas said, hey, let's bring them again. And Paul said, absolutely not. Uh, he He was not a blessing last time. He ain't coming back. And we see there's a difference in Paul and Barnabas. I don't think the difference is bad. I think the difference is probably necessary. Paul was about the work and Paul knows, you know what? I I don't want no extra weight. When I'm going to do a work, I need people that can do the work with me. Barnabas is more of that one-on-one guy. Barnabas named me son of encouragement. Throughout his ministry, you saw him take guys one guy at a time. When the church didn't want to receive Paul, Barnabas was the one that said, guys, he really did get saved. When Mark failed in the mission and Paul wouldn't take him, Barnabas says, I'll stay back and minister to him. Well, as Barnabas stayed back and ministered to Mark, Mark got better. As Paul went to do the work, the work did expand. So both ministries were successful. But here is what God does is beautiful. Later on, Paul now looks at Mark and says, that brother's useful for the ministry. Why is he useful? Because Mark stayed back and ministered to him. And so while he wasn't useful then, he is useful now. And so there was a a healing and a restoration that took place between these two. And I want to just say this, how important it is that people, the brothers and sisters in Christ that have had fallen outs, that they be reconciled as much as possible. If you have fallen out with somebody and it's in your power to reconcile or heal it or have it made right, I think we should seek to do that. The Bible says that we want to, we want as much as it's within us, we want to have peace with everybody. And so if you got some Christian, you know, some beef, some ministry thing that's just looming, you know, I just you don't want to have that kind of smoke with the body of Christ. These are believers. So if there's something you could do to heal it, you want to do that. And so Paul gets this thing right. Paul says, hey, also Mark, the cousin of Barnabas and Paul had given instruction that if he comes, receive him. I wonder if Paul had to give that instruction because they were like, no, nah, Paul don't, Paul not good with Mark. Paul said, look, 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 we're good now. If he shows up, receive him. I said so in my name. And so I think Paul had to give the extra instruction because they had previously had the little falling out. But he says, who you've received instruction, if he comes, welcome in verse 11. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God that are of the circumcision they have proved to be a comfort to me. So this guy, it says his name is Jesus, but he goes by justice. Can you imagine why? At that era, you know, you probably didn't want to be the, no, 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 no. Don't call me Jesus like this. Just call me justice. The name though, Jesus or justice, it was the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew name Joshua. It was a very common name at the time. And again, more than likely he was called justice just to differentiate himself 
didn't want to have people thinking he was trying to call himself Jesus, you know, Jesus the Christ or whatever. And so I, I believe that's probably why that was, why he had this nickname, this other name. In the same way that if you had the name Judas, you was calling yourself, any, man, I'm Jude. You know, I'm, just call me Jay. You know, but you dropping that Udis off of your name right away. That's, that's, we're not going to be going by that no more. So these all men were that were converted Jews and had been with Paul. And so Paul identifies them as such. He said, these guys were, they proved to be a comfort to me. Once again, as I challenge you to consider who your friends are, do you have friends that are encouraging you in the Lord? Or do you have friends that are pulling you away from the Lord? And it makes a big, it's a big deal. Do y'all know it's a big deal who your friends are? If you're a note taker, I want you to write down some note truth. I'm gonna give you about five verses. I want you to write them down. If you, if you wonder if it's, if it matters who your friends are, I want you to write these verses down and have them for future reference for yourself. All right. Let me know when y'all ready. Y'all ready to write these down? All right. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26. Proverbs 12, 26 says the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked will lead him astray. So Proverbs 12, 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked will lead him astray. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. He said, if you walk with wise men, you will be wise as well. But if you're the companion of fools, fools in the Bible are those who know God's word and don't do it, know what God says, but won't obey it. If you're the companion of fools, you'll be destroyed. The next verse is Amos chapter three, verse three. Amos 3, 3, it says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And the answer is you can't. You can't walk together unless you're in agreement about where you're going. If you leave church today and somebody says, I'm going to Santa Monica and somebody else says, no, I'm going to Compton. Y'all can't go together because you can't get to Compton and Santa Monica. Y'all, somebody going to make a Somebody going to have to change routes and go the other way. So two can't walk together unless they be agreed. I got two more. Second Corinthians chapter six, verses 14 through 18. Second Corinthians six, 14 through 18 says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And that's a group of rhetorical questions. What fellowship have righteousness with lawlessness? None. What communion has light with darkness? None. What accord has Christ with Balao or Satan? None. What part has a believer with an unbeliever? None. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? None. Then he says this, for you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God almighty. One more. First Corinthians five, verse 11. Speaking about those that say they, how many of y'all know people say they're Christians, but then you can tell how they live in that they're not really Christians. Okay. It's a difference. Somebody says, oh, I'm a Christian, but you look at that light. was like, mm -hmm. that's not what the Bible said. Anyway, so first Corinthians five eleven for those folks, it says this, but now I've written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother says they're a Christian who is sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Now, it's not saying if they're a non-believer, but if somebody is faking the funk saying, I'm a Christian, 
I am a born again and they live in an ongoing rebellion. God says, pull away from them. Back up from that before you be living a fake life too. Ain't nothing worse to God but than a fake. If you want to see the harshest words in the whole Bible from Jesus Christ, it was to the Pharisees, those who God said were spiritual fakes, that they put on a show. They put on externally what they're not really living on the inside. God hates that. God would rather you be real and weak than to be pretending to be strong. Amen? You've just heard a transforming word brought to you by Pastor Bill Buffington. Do you wish sometimes that it wasn't so hard to do what needed to be done, especially with a good attitude? I sure do. The Apostle Paul was a great example of this. As we see in this verse, he included in his letter to the church in Colossae. Listen to Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So often we forget it's Jesus who has given us a redeemed life, a life that's been forgiven of our sins. If we believe this to be true, then everything we do should be like sending a thank you card to Jesus. We may not always do a great job, but it's a good reminder. Friends, what we say and what we do matters. Not only that, but how it's done is important. Do you like the message that you just heard? Great. We're so glad. You'll find more solid teachings like this one from Pastor Bill Buffington at calvaryinglewood.org. Will you prayerfully consider spreading the good news with us? If so, locate the Give tab on our site. Don't forget, that's calvaryinglewood.org. This ministry is a product of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. We're located in Inglewood, California. So if you have extra time and are close, we would be overjoyed for you to attend one of our services, Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Or if there's a scheduling conflict, come Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We hope that we've ministered to your heart and you feel a little more loved. We look forward to our next time together on A Transforming Word.